wise. But first, um, I will ask for a volunteer to open in prayer. Do we have anyone who's willing to pray? Keith, I'm going to call on you. All right. Amen. All right. So we're working through the doctrine of creation in chapter 4, so page 18, and we're going to pick up at at number 3 because that's where I think we are. I'll read it out and then we will discuss, as is our custom. In addition to the law written in their hearts, they received the command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As long as they obeyed this command, they were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. Okay, so let's, did we do this? Did we? Yeah? Actually, now that I read it out loud, when I read it at home, I didn't think we had, but we talked about the two trees, right? Sealing their fate with the tree of life. Does that sound familiar? Okay, then we'll move ahead. Sometimes I forget how bad my dementia is. So, all right, chapter 5, section 1. God, the good creator of all things in his infinite power and wisdom, upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and things, from the greatest to the least, by his perfectly wise and holy providence to the purpose for which they were created. He governs according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will. His providence leads to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. And so again, let's break this down. We'll read up to footnote one, and then I'll ask for people to take those scriptures. Uh, So who wants to take Hebrews 1, 3? Aunt Evangeline, okay. Job 38, 11. Volunteer for Job? Don? Okay. Isaiah 46.10. Caitlin? And then Psalm 135.6. Ray, do you want to take that one? Saw your hand there before. Okay. So I'll read up to that, and then I will ask for people to read. So God, the good creator of all things in his infinite power and wisdom, upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and things. Hebrews. Okay. Very good. So the son does this. The son has this job to do this on behalf of the father, right? And that's fitting with what we know about Scripture. Father and son are often engaged in the business of glorifying one another, and Christ is the exact imprint. Uh, who had Job? Don. Okay, yes, and by all means, if you see that it picks up in a weird place, gladly add verses front or back if it flows better. For each is shut in the sealing doors, but it burst forth from the 
Job is an interesting book. Um, probably most of us have read it. Hopefully everyone has read it. I've read it sometimes when I've been struggling quite deeply. And I'm struck when Job has everything torn away from him and his life is seemingly a shambles. And from a human perspective, it's more or less over. He calls out to God. Does God ever give Job an answer for why he struggles? He does not. We know more about Job's struggle than Job knew about it. Because we have the opening chapters of Job. We know this exchange that happened between God and Satan. Okay? We know that. Job did not know that. He didn't have access to that information like we do. But what I find especially unique about the book of Job is Job's asking for an answer, and he's getting advice from his friends, and sometimes his wife's advice is particularly unhelpful, curse God and die. That's not what you want to hear from your wife when you're struggling. Okay? And his friends sometimes seemingly have good advice, sometimes bad advice. But what's interesting is when Job wants an answer for what's happening, God addresses him in the last four chapters, and it's like you almost feel sorry for the guy, because on top of all his suffering, it's like God's using him for a heavy bag (laughs) for four chapters, just two chapters. Can you do this? Can you do this? Were you there when I laid out the foundations of the earth? Can you make it snow? Can you make an eagle fly? Can you get down to the depths of the sea? And Job, finally, after two chapters of this, says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then two more chapters. Can you do this? Can you make an ox lay down in the stall? Can you do this? Can you do... That's the answer he gets. You don't know what I know. I don't owe you an answer, Job. You're my creation. I'll do with you exactly as I please. That's the answer Job gets. There's no connecting it to a particular sin. There's no uh, connecting it to a particular outcome. It's you're Job and I'm God. And you need to know that. God doesn't give an answer. If you want to read what, from a human perspective, on the surface is a bit depressing, read the last four chapters of the book of Job. Uh, And of course, once we have eyes to see it, we see this is actually glorious. I am God's. He can do with me exactly what he wants. And if that involves taking everything out of our hands, how do I know better? So the news of divine providence can seem harsh on the surface to say, does our suffering come by the decision of God? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But there's comfort in that. People often find this as a point of difficulty uh, for those of us who take to a a high view or uh, I think just a straight biblical view of God's sovereignty is, well, then God is in some sense behind my suffering. And of course, we'd have to say, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Okay? Uh, And some people really dislike that because it doesn't seem to separate God from evil far enough, this doctrine of God's providence. I'm going to ask you, what if all that suffering was happening apart from God's providence? What kind of a terrifying universe would that be? So this is happening by chance? This all means nothing? I'm just caught in the machinery? God's trying his best and the universe is getting away on him? That is a terrifying world. I'll stop here and I'll tell one story John MacArthur told. Uh, One of the major prosperity, kind of charismatic churches in Los Angeles, uh, where he knew the the pastor and the pastor's family reasonably well. 
and uh, Dr. MacArthur noticed that uh, he started to have quite a group of young families from this church at Grace Community Church, and that's, if you know anything about the charismatic movement or about John MacArthur, you know it's oil and water, (laughs) okay? This isn't a natural marriage. But all these people were coming to MacArthur's church, uh, including the pastor's own children from this charismatic church. Um, And so he asked them, he requested a meeting one Sunday, and and they met, and he said, you know, such a different background you know, the, the word of faith, prosperity gospel stuff, and here we are doing something quite different. Why are you here? And the pastor's son said, well, we had a prophet come visit our church, and he prophesied that my dad was going to be headed for international, worldwide ministry. He was going to be famous, and God was going to do great things to him. And the prophet left, and he went on his way. And a week later, my dad died of a heart attack. What do you do? So the kid asked this prophet, he said, so you had all this for my dad, and he's dead. Was it a false prophecy? Here's the answer. No, it was not a false prophecy. It was absolutely true. But Satan was so threatened by it that he killed your dad. (laughs) Think about the terror of that. God is trying to accomplish one thing, and Satan can overpower him. That is terrifying. And it's no wonder that some of these kids, the pastor's son started, I can't sleep, I've got heart palpitations, the anxiety is crushing. Satan is running the world. <laughs> okay? This is crushing. Yes, the doctrine of providence is difficult at times. But practically speaking, it sure beats the alternative. Uh, and it's just frankly biblical. Did Satan have an inch over Job that God did not give him? No, he didn't. God says you can go this far and no further. Okay? It's a scary statement, but Luther said it, I think, correctly. Even the devil is God's devil. Okay? Even he can't break the chains that God limits him with. So more on this. Isaiah 46, 10 and 11. Who had that? Caitlin, was that you? All right. What kind of success rate is God seeming to estimate for himself? seems like 100%, doesn't it? If God sets his mind to it, it will happen. Okay? Can humans or Satan frustrate God's plans? No, they cannot. No, we cannot. We can try, but we cannot frustrate God's plans. Okay? It's like, and that's why I think the, the biblical image in the prophets is often a kicking against the goads. Okay? This ox will move and will do what what I tell it to, and it can either do it happily and do a lot less work, or it can kick the whole time. Your call. We're, we're getting to the other end of the field. Whether you want to work real hard to get there or pretty easy, that's up to you. I've got a horse that hates leaving home that I always ride when we ride, and I think always the first mile out of the yard, we walk about three or four miles. <laughs> he just has to make it hard. 
right? He can't fake the straight line because he's trying to get out of work and it never works because I determined we are getting there and I don't care. If you want to get four miles to walk there, go for it. Katie and Emma are having a pretty easy time on their horse. My horse seems to be determined to make it as difficult as possible. He's sweating after one mile. Unnecessary. Okay, that's what it's like to try to frustrate God's plans. You can make your life miserable fighting God, but you will not change God's decree. You will not. You cannot. Psalm 135. Who had that? Ray, was that you? Okay, again, are we starting to get a picture? God does what he wants with his creation. He does as he pleases. Okay. Any questions on this? On anything up to note one? Are we all sufficiently convinced that Scripture teaches that God does what he wants with his creation? Then let's move on. This is just a short little segment here. From the greatest to the least. And that text is in Matthew 10, 29 to 31. Who wants to grab that? I have a volunteer for Matthew 10. Keith? Okay. Okay, so God just cares about the big ticket items, right? As long as David gets to the throne, as long as Jesus gets crucified, the rest of the details of life can kind of just go, it's a roll of the dice, right? We just got to get those big redemptive historical events on the map and then everything else is random, right? Because I'm not a big player in redemptive historical history, my life can kind of go however, right? 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 <laughs> Good. Okay, good. No, no, it cannot. My head on my, or my hair on my head are probably easier to count than some of yours. But even that, every one, God had a number for. Okay? Every straight cat that's walked through our barnyard, God knows. Everything. Everything. There's not one detail that is immune from God's sovereign providence. And this is good. This is very good, because this means when suffering inevitably comes, it's not meaningless. It's not purposeless, okay? Having a soft view on divine providence would have to leave suffering and evil to the realm of meaninglessness. It's random, okay? I'll clean up a barn phrase. Stuff happens. That's the extent of the meaning of it, okay? It's just how just how carbon reacts under these conditions. That's all it means. Today you got caught in the gears. That's it. Okay? That's the alternative. So what we want is a full-throated, rock-ribbed commitment. God's providence touches everything. That doesn't mean we understand it. Okay? There's lots of things that happen in our life that we will go into the ground not knowing. I, I still don't know what that was about. I really don't. 
One of Tanya's uncles was a missionary for Venezuela for many years. And before that, he had a dream of, he moved up to the Nipawa area to go farm. And that lasted a couple years, and then he felt called to the mission field. And he said to me, I still don't know what that was about. Why did God pull me out of Blumen Orton Landmark, where all my family was, and get me to farm up in Arden for three years, and then we had to go to Venezuela anyway? I, he, I have no idea. And he'll happily say that. Uncle Elmer has no idea why God got him to Arden. He was part of a little church plant that kind of started and then kind of petered out. That was it. What was that about? God knows. Uncle Elmer won't. Yet. Questions on this? Okay, so we see providence touches everything. Nothing is random. Are we convinced of this? Questions about this? Pushback? Imagine you're talking about this with someone. What's the, what's the pushback you get? What's the opposition to this? Right, so our choices essentially become meaningless, right? Because it's all in the script. Yeah. Can anyone either thinking that or can envision that objection coming in uh, in some form? Yeah. And so again, there I would go back to... Uh, We all believe in predestination. Every person does. It's either personal or it's impersonal. It's either God or fate, right? Um, and so the, these seemingly random events, what's the warm personal touch to them? There, there isn't one, right? Now we're bound by fate. It's impersonal predestination rather than a, a father who, who predestinates his creation. And I'd also say to that one, we covered this a few weeks ago, in terms of how does the human will work, I always like to turn it around on the kind of the libertarian view of free will. If your view of free will works, how could God hold you accountable for your choices, right? They're spontaneous, they're random. In this view of providence, we have what's called uh, compatibilist free will, which means we choose what we want, right? We choose what we want, and on that basis, God holds us accountable, because my choices and my actions are a reflection of what's in my heart. So what you see me doing is the real me. Okay? And who's seen that now? Some high-profile athlete or something, you know, it comes out after the game that, yeah, when we were fighting for the puck behind the net, he said a homophobic slur. And then there's two weeks of apology tour and re-education and everything else that this player has to go through. And how does the apology always work? That's not a reflection of who I am. Right? That wasn't me. I don't know why I said um, But it's always, that wasn't a real reflection of me. Yeah, of course it is. 100% it is. Right? What does Jesus say? What the heart is full with comes out of the mouth. Right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we do, we choose what's inside of us. And here's the, here's the thing. Who chose what's inside of us? None of us. We're born, we get here in a certain setting with a certain set of characteristics. I never chose to hate tomatoes. They're just detestable. And I knew that from a, from a young child, I've known tomatoes are detestable. That was never a choice I made. That's just how my brain works. Okay? So I'm accountable for what happens. I'm, a, I'm accountable for my decisions. But we don't get to recreate what our nature is. Our nature is our nature. And our choices and our uh, actions reflect that. So I would say we're not puppets. We're, we're, doing what, we're doing what we want. 
what you see, what I speak, what I do, how I think, is a, it's a real reflection of, of me. The other uh, analogy I gave, I think I shared it here too, in the uh, to be or not to be speech, who's speaking? Is that Hamlet or Shakespeare? Who's speaking? Correct. Yep. Correct. It's 100% Hamlet. It's 100% Shakespeare. Okay? The author can do with his characters what he wants. God can do with his creation as he pleases. And so if I am destined to be a 5 foot 10 bald guy, then that's who I am. And I think a certain way, and that's true for all of us. So we are not puppets. But that, it's important to think that through because that objection often comes. We're just puppets. Uh, and I would just push back and say, okay, let's take the alternative. How can you be accountable for what are now spontaneous or random decisions of the will? Right? They may or may not reflect who, who you are. Any other objections we can anticipate to this? That says he was born this way? I would say I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Right. Here's the thing. I was also born this way. And my heterosexual lust could go into many sinful places. Right? Any, any boy that all of a sudden, you know, goes to bed one night thinking of dirt bikes and football and he wakes up in the morning and some rock has crushed his head and now there's girls everywhere. Okay? He didn't choose that. Something physiologically happened in that boy's brain at a certain age, and there's a chemical rock that smashed his head. Okay? He didn't choose it, but that's now who he is. And so now he has to steward that. He's responsible for something in him that he didn't choose. So if, and, and, this, and this is a great one, because Christians often take the bait. Uh, and so we do one of two things with the pressure from the, the LGBTQ area is we say, well, I, no, it's a choice. It has to be a choice, otherwise they can't be accountable. Or we say, okay, well, no, they were born that way, so who am I to say that, no, no, we're all born that way. Okay? The drunk is also born that way. If there's certain genes that lead to alcoholism, I have no problem accepting that. If we find a gay gene, that will bother my theology nothing. We're all born that way. We're all born sinful. We all hate God by nature. We all want the wrong things without exception, and we're running 100 miles an hour to every sin imaginable except for where God graciously restrains us. So were you born that way? Sure. So was I. I could picture a scenario where I could have six wives that it would take to make me happy in that area. Okay? And it's wrong. Okay? So the, the answer isn't to identify with my sinful lust. It's to say, yeah, given my character, I could want this, 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 and this, uh, but it's not okay to identify as saying, well, yeah, I'm an adulterous Christian, right? I, I remain faithful to Tanya, don't get me wrong. I'm faithful to Tanya, but I'm an adulterous Christian because I identify with my sinful lusts for other women. Is that helpful? Is that helpful? <laughs> no? Right. And here's another thing. Pastorally, if a, if a healthy heterosexual male pastor would say, well, yeah, I'm an adulterous Christian, but I'm faithful to my wife. I'm monogamous. It's just my, I'm wired this way. I'm, I'm wired to notice attractive women. Um, how comfortable does that make it to go visit a woman as a pastor? 
right? Is that at all helpful? Like, this is just foolish on every level imaginable. The fight happens at the level of our heart, not just with our outside actions, okay? We got to fight this in our hearts. And so to talk about, well, I'm a gay Christian, like, no, no, I know, I know the action is wrong. I'll stop myself from doing the action, but I'll still identify this way because that's the way I was born. That's the way that feels natural to me is just as foolish, okay? Can the so-called gay Christian pastor minister to normal, healthy men in his congregation? I don't want a visit from a gay Christian. I don't. You've got to fight that. That's wrong. The desire is wrong. That's where you've got to fight it. So born this way, yes, sure. That's what the Bible teaches. We're all born this way, which is why we have to be born. <laughs> Amen. We have to be born again because we're all born this way with sinful lusts. Anything else on this? On this one in particular, I mean, I don't want to be focusing just on sexuality and gender stuff, but it's so much around us. We have to think clearly about this stuff. We absolutely have to. Because I can tell you, even in private Christian school, your kids are not going to hear a very robust defense. Well, they won't hear a robust defense of this at all. Okay? Even in, you, you can pay good money for private Christian school that frankly has no understanding of anything I just said, or knowing disagreement. We have to be clear on this for the sake of our grandkids. Absolutely have to. And yes, it does fit with providence. Is that clear? Have I explained that well enough, or is that opening a confusing can of worms? Okay. Be clear on this, people, please. If you want your grandkids in a healthy church, they have to know this. On from note two. By his perfectly wise and holy providence, to the purpose for which they were created, he governs according to his infallible knowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will. His providence leads to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. And who wants to take Ephesians 1? Kenan? Okay. Okay, and there we have it again. We encountered this verse a few chapters ago. Um, is God's providence just a mere show of force by God? Or is there a goal in mind here? What's he after? Is this just like a North Korean missile parade, just to show everyone I'm more powerful than you are? Is that what this is? What's the goal behind it? This verse says, For his purposes, for his own glory. Okay? And if you'd read on in verse 12, yeah, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That's what God is after. God is glorifying himself. This isn't just a show of force to show that God is more powerful than humans, although that's certainly true. It's good. There's a design behind it. 
the reason God cares about the little details of our lives is because it's for our good. It's for His glory and for our good. And even the painful parts are for our good. Eternally speaking. And again, that doesn't mean we understand it. Sometimes people try very hard to read providence and to try to connect all the dots. And sometimes it becomes very obvious, right? You meet someone at an unexpected place and then that connection opens up an opportunity or something and then we get goosebumps and we say, well, that was a God thing, right? Clearly God was doing that. I gave uh, the example about one of our kids that was almost in an accident and, and within inches God spared them and then we say, well, that's God's providence. Okay? And that's true. What if it wouldn't have turned out that way? That's also God's providence. That's also God's providence. Everyone in this room is going to die somehow. And that will also be in the providence of God. It will not be random. Okay? It will be at the right time and it will be at the right way that is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory in ways that are too wonderful for us to understand. Anything else on this before we move to section two? Comments, pushback, questions? Yep. Did everyone hear what Don just said? No? That it's, it's comforting to know that God is for us, but then if we know that God is behind all these things, if I'm understanding you correct, that we don't fall into the ditch of saying, well, something bad happened, now God's against me. <laughs> right? Or something, something bad happened, I got into an accident on the way somewhere this morning, um, I have to go find the sin I just committed for which that caused that. And I'll be honest, that's, by default, that's my factory setting. Something bad happened to me, which sin do I need to be reminded of? And there may, that could be, but it's not necessarily so. Okay? Uh, and it's never a bad idea to repent, but we don't have to go through a laundry list remembering every sin we ever committed and, and say it by name uh, in order, because that, 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 that would lead us to a prosperity gospel. Right? If I'm doing the right things, the red carpet will just keep unrolling in front of me and life will be easy. And God doesn't promise that. Not at all. Yeah, for those who didn't hear, Margaret said essentially the same thing. God's not a taskmaster. He's not looking to boot us out of his family every time we sin. Discipline is different than being kicked out, right? We discipline our children because we want them to mature. And so sometimes we have to let them go through a difficult circumstance on their own. Mom and dad can see a terrible decision from 100 feet away, but eventually you just, no. Make a stupid decision. You need to, frankly. It, it has to hurt. <laughs> yeah. 
how can we know when it's discipline and when it's not connected directly to something we've done? I'd say that's hard to know. I don't know that we can know that. Um, I would suggest our demeanor then as Christians should be to be soft, to be repentant, to be teachable. God, if you are exposing unaddressed sin in my life, please show it to me. Right? Uh, that is discipline. That is taking the next step of maturity. Um, and like I say, my factory setting is I always, because I like logic, I like connecting things, so I want to connect this car accident to a particular sin I did so I can go clean it up, but it doesn't... I've tried that long enough, and I will suggest it hasn't worked well for me. So I'm a sinner. I need to repent. I need to be humbled. God needs to soften me often. I don't think we need to know. I think we take discipline and we say, okay, I'm getting, God's getting me ready for my next promotion. It's going to hurt for a while. Um, and then we take the next step. Yeah, and some are unmistakable. Yeah. 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 I have no idea how this happened. <laughs> how did she get pregnant? I, I, I have no idea. Yeah. No, no, that's right. That's, and that's fair. There are some things which are very clearly reaping and sowing, right? If a dad's going to come home angry and drunk, it's going to be hard on the family, and there's just no, there's no mystery there. Let's move on. Section 2. All things come to pass unchangeably and certainly in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, who is the first cause. Thus, nothing happens to anyone by chance or outside of God's providence. Yet by the same providence, God arranges all things to occur according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or in response to other causes. So let's break this down up to... Footnote 4. Who wants to take Acts 2? Kaylin? Okay. And let's assign all of these here right away. Who wants to take Proverbs 16? Volunteer for Proverbs 16. Keith? Okay. And then lastly, Genesis 8. Who wants to put their thumb there? Val? Okay. Okay. All things come to pass unchangeably and certainly in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God. Whoever had acts. That verse is so rich. What's the most evil act that has probably ever happened in human history? No, I think you're whispering it. I can't hear it well, but I think you're on the right path. Yeah, what could be more wicked? God comes to earth as a man. We give him a kangaroo court trial and then kill him unjustly. Could anything be more evil than that? That is the height of wickedness and the hardness of the human heart. And Kaylin just let us know that this was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God planned the most evil event that has ever happened in human history. It was not random. 
And then here's where our minds go. Oh, well, so then these people aren't accountable. God planned it, so that means they're puppets. Who did he do it by? You crucified by the hands of lawless men. Is there any hint here that these people are not accountable? Okay. Does God's predestinating power somehow nullify human responsibility? Not at all. Not at all. And if, you, if, if it helps to think about it in the negative sense, at what point in this process could God have stopped it? Anytime. Okay. Did he choose to stop it? No, he didn't. Why did he not choose to stop it? Was he overpowered or was it a free choice of his to not stop it? Sure. Uh, but we're left saying this was a free choice of God. God freely chose for this to happen. So even if we start with the weakest possible way, could God have stopped this? All Christians should say yes. He could have. Did he? Well, we all agree, no, he did not. So now we're left asking, why did he not? Was he overpowered or did he freely choose to let evil carry on its way? You see how you have to arrive at a position? God wanted this to happen in one sense, and yet man is completely responsible for his wicked actions in another sense. If you're getting an Excedrin headache, that's fine, because no one actually understands this. Okay? Well, God does. We, it had to happen. That's right. Yeah, so even this isn't just random, like God's saying, oh, I wonder how that's going to turn out. It, it accomplishes good. That's right. He can't. He can't change his mind. No, that's right. Because he's admitting fault then, either previously or in the future. Changing your mind is an admission of imperfect knowledge somewhere. And God can't have imperfect knowledge ever. Okay? Who understands this perfectly? Who can accept this because this is what Scripture teaches? Okay? Okay? God did this. God planned this. And you are guilty because you did this at the hands of lawless men. If you don't understand it, you are in very good company. Okay? But we have to. Scripture just goes there. And as Ron points out, what if God had stopped it? Is there any hope for anyone in this room? No, there's not. There's no gospel. There's no gospel without Christ dying for our sins. This had to happen. It had to. Discussion on this. No right or wrong answer here, but I'm wondering, because we all come from different backgrounds, we all have different ways of thinking about things. Is, is this easy or hard to accept? And again, there's no right or wrong answer. This is just an experience question. Is this difficult to accept or, or easy to accept? Okay, probably many of us would be in that category. Mm-hmm. 
There's a counter side to that. <laughs> this was a relief for me when I found it, as hard as it was to accept at first, because I was the kid that had 100 questions and got 100 bad answers that frankly didn't make sense even to my eight-year-old brain. And then I just resigned myself to the fact that the Bible just doesn't make sense. So for me, finding Reformers and Puritans was life-giving, because, okay, so I'm allowed to believe that the Bible does actually teach that, because I was told, no, it can't say that. It's not allowed to say that. The Bible's not allowed to say that, so it can't be that. It must be this. For me, it was a relief to find that this is what the church has historically confessed, although it certainly didn't match my own experience. Anything else? It is pride. I think some people have good motives. I think some people genuinely are concerned that this leaves you to somehow confess that God does evil, that God is guilty himself of evil. And of course, we know from Scripture that can't be. So I think some people, there's a real zeal to protect God from that charge. But the way to answer that isn't to just lop off half the biblical data in order to preserve the other half. Yeah, so the, the way we deal with difficult things isn't to just see which stack of verses is taller, and then that's the position we go with. And it's not to say, well, this half is easier to understand than this half, so we'll go with that. There are sometimes tensions, and if we just have to go where Scripture goes, we just have to, even if it's hard. Let's read one more, and then we'll call it a morning. Uh, Proverbs 16.33. <clears throat> Okay, so again, do we have a providential God or a random universe there? Sounds providential, doesn't it? So you're meaning to tell me that right now all the people that are in Las Vegas, Nevada playing one-armed bandits and getting a deck of cards dealt to them, that's all by the plan of God? Yes. Everything that's happening in Las Vegas right now is exactly as God decreed it to go. You mean even something random, like a one Yes. Yes. No. <laughs> Sorry, you can go on your own if you want to observe it. I've been to Las Vegas once for one night and I had my fill. <laughs> Okay? Everything is by the, the hand of God. There is no maverick molecules in the universe. And again, this might be hard to accept, especially given the background some of us grew up with. But think again of the alternative. Think of the alternative. What if there are molecules outside of God's happen, out of God's decree? What if my farm goes bankrupt despite God trying his absolute best to make me rich? 
What if I win the lottery despite God feeling He needs to teach me through bankruptcy? And I win $4 million and I learn nothing. That's the alternative. Okay? We all believe in an ultimate power that controls every detail. Okay? Every, every person, believer or unbeliever, does believe in predestination. Either man predestines, which is why we have a whole class of people who are much better than us to instruct us on how to live our lives, because predestination is best left to the experts. Okay? Or we are Greeks, and we just believe in the fates, so predestination is impersonal. It's just fate. Your actions are completely irrelevant because fate takes over. Or we are Christians, and we say God is providential over everything. Okay? Nothing is random, and it's for the good of God's glory. He is teaching us, and He's doing something with His creation. Okay? Can we see, we, if we distill it down, everybody believes in an ultimate... <laughs> explanation for actions, we have, to, we have to grapple with that. There's an ultimate cause, no matter what your worldview. It will either involve God or it will not. That's heavy stuff, and I don't want to cut it off. If there's a burning question or comment, we've got time for that yet before coffee break, and if not, then I'll leave it. Okay, so either if we are gods, then predestination is left to man. So we need an expert class to tell us how to live, what kind of cars we should drive, which family gatherings we are or not allowed to have, because the elites know how to run the world. And stupid people like me and you are just farmers. We, we wouldn't know how to live our lives. So we need a ruling class to instruct us and to manage our money for us, and to educate our children for us, because we don't have those tools. Okay? I'm being very crass here in the way I'm explaining it. Very few people would say that, but that's what it is. Okay? So the, the world will be predestined by experts who know what they're doing. Okay? They will run our lives for us. Or we can be Greek fatalists. Run to this side of the ship, it's going to sink. Run to that side, it's going to sink. Your actions mean nothing because the world is just a cold, hard place, and fate just impersonally runs things. Or we have what we just read. God is a sovereign, providential God who is guiding all the details for our good and for His glory in ways that we can't understand, leaves us responsible for our actions, and yet there's nothing random. But at the top of, no matter who you encounter, at the top of their system of thought is a controlling principle an ultimate authority that has final say on everything. And, and so part of our job as Christians is just to get to that. What's you, who's your God? You have one. I just got to find out if it's you, is it the state, is it impersonal fate, or is it the God of the Bible? But, but we all have a God at the top of our system that controls our thought in, in all of these things. I think we live in an age of experts, personally, if I had to diagnose our own time. I think predestination belongs to the state. I'm not saying that I believe. I believe that's the mindset of our culture. The state is responsible for everything, keeping us healthy, telling us what we can do. I, I think that's the, the, the idol of the day, but I think you'll find it different for different people.
Does that make sense? We all have a God at the top of the system. Am I being unfair if I think statism is our current favorite? Or is that probably a fair comment? Mm -hmm. Is that a job best left to God? I trust him more than I trust most authorities. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we have seen wonderful things, but also things that are hard for us to either to accept or hard for us to understand for sure. Lord, we do not know how you can do these things in a way that brings glory to you, and yet in a way that you are looking out for our eternal good and that your interest is the same in both. Lord, we also want to acknowledge that we are all slaves to something or to someone, either to ourselves or to some impersonal force or to some rival authority to yourself. Lord, and I pray that you would give us understanding as much as is possible with these big topics. Help us to submit gladly to the fact that you are supreme. This is your creation. We are your creatures. This is not a random creation, but you are accomplishing something through history. Lord, and I pray that we would all be happy to take responsibility for the life you have given us, that we would all pick up the talents that you have given us, that we would be good stewards of them, that we would serve you with our station in life, with our unique characters, with our unique people in our lives, our vocations, do that. Lord, and I pray that we would also have the humility to acknowledge that you are God and there is no other, and that we would see there is not randomness, there are not rival gods, there is just you. And I pray that we would accept that uh, and also receive it gladly, and that that would actually empower our obedience and our awe of who you are. I pray that you be with us the rest of the morning now. Submit it all into your kind hands. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.